get on the right track here. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you, Lord, to um, to look to you and to um, to learn about you more, and most of all, Lord, to get to know you. Um, that's the ultimate uh, the ultimate joy in 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 our lives is to get to know you. And uh, I just pray that tonight would be profitable for everyone here, and that we would um, glorify you. That we would um, uh, that we would learn something tonight, and uh, that you would just use my words, Lord. Which, um, Lord, I pray that they be your words, Lord, and that um, nothing would be done here of the flesh. And in Jesus' name, Amen. So, um, I guess a little introduction. Uh, I've been. Uh, We've been doing this uh, this book here, Don't Waste Your Life, for college and careers, and it's um, it's by John Piper. It's been a a very convicting ride <laughs> for me personally, and um, I'm sure for a lot of us. Um, and it's it's as the it's a very direct title. It says, "Don't waste your life," and it's very very simple, um, just the message in it. Um, but it's extremely convicting and. Um, I find what it does is it takes scripture and it, it just points it right at you and says, this is what scripture says. Now what are you going to do about that? And that's, that's something that um, is really challenging for me because, you know, it's, this is probably the second most challenging book I've ever, writ- I've ever read. And the most challenging being the Bible itself because this book really just points to the Bible and points it at you and says, this is, this is what it says. So... One of the books that of the Bible that John Piper focuses on um, a lot is Philippians. So I've I've chosen to kind of do Philippians as at least this message and um, possibly future messages as well because it's just such a rich book full of a lot of wisdom from Paul and um, a lot of his um, you know knowing Paul's experiences and stuff that he was going through when he wrote this book, he was in prison uh, with Timothy. Um, and he wrote to the Philippian church and just his passion for this church and for um, for the gospel and for, for Christ is just very convicting. Um, and so I, I just want to, I want to read chapter one um, with no comment basically and then I'll go back through it and make a few comments. But I feel that the scripture just kind of speaks for itself. Uh, in many ways. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making... Uh, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right, uh, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more 
with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and uh, so be pure and blameless, blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of the of my that and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Uh, and. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to, to afflict me in my, in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yet I will, uh, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, the help of, uh, and the help of, the Spirit of Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager ex- expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all ashamed, but with full courage now, um, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I, sho- which I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain c- and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glorify, uh, to, to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or, or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign uh, to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Uh, for, this, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, uh, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now, and now hear that I still have. So I want to start with... Um, Verse, verses 1 to 3, just the, the greeting. Uh, there's a quick little thing I want to point out in that greeting. Um, first of all, I actually, actually, I actually never noticed that Timothy and Paul were together at this point in, the, in Paul's journey. I mean, I probably should have because I've read Acts and I've read Philippians, but I just didn't really think of that, and uh, that's on me. But it's just interesting to note that um, I think Timothy... Uh, was provided to Paul here as as some fellowship, and um, I'm sure Paul was thankful for that. Um, I noticed he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and it just kind of struck me that when um, we're going out into the world, wherever we're going, whether it's um, to our, you know, workplaces, school, or whatever it might be, the grace and the peace that we bring um, doesn't have to be from ourselves. 
In fact, it can't be. We don't, we don't have that. We don't have grace. We don't have peace. Um, it's from God. It's from our Father. And um, I just noticed that, and I, I wanted to point that out. And it's something that, like, when I... Um, when we go out on the streets and we talk to people, one of the main things we pray for before we go is, is that we will do these things in God's strength and not in our own, and that nothing will be brought on from the, our flesh. And I, I just think that's um, so important as a Christian, just to live your life, whatever your, um, you know, whatever life you're living, uh, whatever you're doing, to live it in Christ's strength and that's something that's a challenge for me because um as as a lot of human beings out there I, I want to control everything in my life I want to bring it all but Paul um, Paul is basically conveying the grace and peace from Jesus to the Philippian um, Christians um he goes on to talk about his prayer and he, he tells them about how he was praying for them and how he's thankful for them I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you Always in every prayer of mine for you, um, sorry, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because, because of your partnership in the gospel with me, in the gospel from the first day until now. Um, Paul shows his appreciation for these believers. Um, I think that's an extremely important thing as Christians as well, this positive affirmation, this, you know, I'm thankful for you and I just want to take a minute and say that I'm thankful for you guys as Christians. Um, it's, you know, it's wonderful to have a place to fellowship and to um, worship God together. And I just think, uh, I think it's really important for us to come out and say it and be open and upfront about how thankful we are for each other. Um, Paul specifically talks about how he's praying for them. Um, he's talking about how confident he is in Jesus and about how Christ is going to work in them and complete the work in them. And uh, it's really great um, to look at that and, and to know that we're, we're works in progress. We're not uh, completed now. It's really encouraging to know that because there's a lot of completion that needs to be done with me. <laughs> um, so he's... Uh, He's praying that um, he's praying for them. Um, he's praying that their their love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment, so that they may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. He gives them specific things that he's praying for them. Um, their love may abound. Uh, that's that's so important as a church, you know, for. Um, when you think about our love abounding, you know, it's, it's like, it's different from just, you know, shaking hands and saying hello. It's, uh, it goes beyond that. Um, I think Nick and I were talking the other day, and we were saying the, the thing that changes people is sacrificial love. And that's something that um, we can only do through Christ. It's something that only Christ can, um, he does it through us, essentially. And uh, I think it's important to, to look at that. Um, and they, and he also asks, he also prays for knowledge and discernment for them as well. Um, what is love without truth? I mean, that's something we heard pretty recently on the pulpit. I actually forget who spoke on truth, truth and love. 
but was that here or was that somewhere else maybe? I don't know. But anyway, I heard it recently. There's a sermon on speaking the truth in love. And, uh, you know, it's really important that this knowledge and discernment, it's, it's, uh, it's an important part of love. Um, and because uh, if we don't know the scriptures, if we don't know the Lord that we're sharing, then we don't have any way of, of sharing his love as well. Um, and then the, the last verse there, 11, in that section says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus um, to the glory and praise of God. Um, this, is, this is great because this tells us the why. This is tells us the, um, you know, we're filled with the fruit uh, of the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's, it's to bring God glory. It's to show his, to put on display um, his people that are um, that are brought about by his mercy and to show his mercy uh, to put his, his mercy on display that's why we're here and um, you know we, uh, we're to be filled with the fruit of his righteousness um, so on to the next section there verse 12 12 to 18. I want you to know, brothers, what, is, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You can see in this section here, Paul's talking about his imprisonment. Um, it's pretty clear as you go through it. And a lot of Christians, I find myself a lot of the time, um, I'll look at something and be like, well, that's, that's totally hindering the spread of the gospel. You know, something bad that happens to me or happens to one of our friends or uh, something like that, it, it's, it's something that we can look at and we can have an attitude of, well, that's, that's going to hinder the spread of the gospel. But Paul looks at it through the eyes, same eyes that he looked at it th- when he wrote Romans 8.28. All these things work together for the glory of God, for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus, um, to, the glo- you know, to the glory of God. Paul looks at his imprisonment as a means of spreading the gospel rather than a hi- hindrance. So it's it's not even just that it's fine that he's in prison. It's that it's a good thing. It's, it's from God. And um, it's important to look at our lives through these gospel glasses, through these, you know, we can look at our lives through um, every situation we're put in to be something that, well, we can spread the gospel through this. We can further God's kingdom through these things. Um, and I think that's, that's something that Paul saw. He, you can see it here. He's talking about the whole imperial guard uh, knows that he's here for Christ. Um, and there's a, he says all the rest, too. I don't even know who all the rest would be, necessarily. It's, it's lots of people. And he's, um, you know, he's in prison for, an abs- for a purpose. And uh, so I think that's, that's something that stuck out to me um, as I was reading this passage. So, um, as I got to the um, end of this passage, it, it's part of um, this part of uh, this part of Philippians one is what "Don't waste your life" is focusing on in, in a few particular chapters. There's one particular chapter, and this will tell you how challenging this book is. It says magnifying the the 
title of the chapter is Magnifying Christ Through Pain and Death. And that's, uh, whew, that's heavy, right? Like, that's, um, that's a tough thing to read, you know, <laughs> as a human being. We don't like to talk about death. We don't like to talk about pain. But it's, this, is, um, this is what this book is saying. It's, it's talking about Paul in verses 19 through, uh, through 29, uh, specifically focusing on uh, for, me to live, for me to live is, is Christ and to die is gain. Um, I'm going to read from Don't Waste Your Life. And uh, there's just a... There's a page on here, page 63, it's just, it talks about, uh, it talks about this. It says, the Christ-exalting paradoxes of life. A life devoted to making much of Christ is costly. The cost is both a consequence and a means of making much of him. If we do not embrace the path of joy-laden, painful love, we will waste our lives. If we do not uh, learn with Paul the Christ-exalting paradoxes of life, we will squander our days pursuing bubbles that burst. He lived as a sorrowful, as sorrowful yet, rejo- yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. The Calvary Road is costly and painful, but is not joyless. Uh, when, we, when we embrace with joy the cost of following Christ, his worth will shine in the world. The cost itself will become a means of Christ looking great. Uh, the Apostle Paul had, not, had one great passion in life. We, we have seen him uh, say it in several ways, uh, to know nothing but Christ and him crucified, 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2. only to boast in the cross, Galatians 6.14. Um, he talked about this great passion and in another way that shows us the cost of making much in Christ, uh, sorry, in, co- in the cost of making much of Christ is also the means. He said in, to the Philippian church, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, for to, me to live is Christ, is, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Here the question is raised, uh, is raised and answered. How do we honor? How do you honor Christ by death? Can the cost of losing everything in this world be a means of making much of Jesus? Let's, let's listen carefully to Paul. Christ has called us to live uh, for His glory and to die for His glory. If we know how to die well, we will know how to live well. The text shows both. Again, we see Paul's single passion in life that Christ will be honored in his body, whether by, whether by life or by death. If Christ is not made much of in our lives, they are wasted. We, are, we exist to make him appear in the world as what he really is, magnificent. If our life and death uh, do not show the worth and wonder of, uh, of Jesus, they are wasted. This, this is why Paul said um, that his aim in life and death was that Christ be honored. This is um, challenging stuff to read, and um, there's another chapter in this book that talks about proving Christ is more valuable than life itself. And um, I, I'm finding this to be very challenging in my life and very convicting for me, um, because I, I mean I enjoy my life. I have <laughs> a 
I have a family, and I have um, friends and things like that. Um, thinking of something as more worth it than living, you know, it's more worth it to die for this cause than to live on and to enjoy my family or enjoy, you know, and uh, it's just this um, extremely challenging, uh, it's extremely challenging to, to look at this, and it doesn't mean that we're all going to die as martyrs. It doesn't mean that we're all going to die um, painful deaths as, you know, burnt at the stake or whatever it is. <laughs> um, but it means that we're, we should all be prepared to give our lives for the gospel and give our lives for Christ, whether it's living for him or dying for him. And I think that's an extremely important thing here. And it's not something that we talk about a whole lot in our Western culture, I don't think. I don't think it's really something that um, we see a lot of here because we're we're pretty comfortable here, and I'm gonna st- I'm gonna be one of the people to say that I'm you know I'm all about living that comfort life too, <laughs> a lot of days. But uh, the Bible doesn't it tells us that that's a foolish way to live um, if we're seeking comfort and that's all we're seeking. So I just wanted to share about that. Um, I'm going to come to a point right now. Nick and I were talking about evangelizing evangelism, and I just want to share, uh, I think it's important for us to um, evangelize, and for me, that's a challenge. It's not something that I'm used to doing. It's not something that I do every day. Um, I want to challenge us as a church to evangelize, us as individuals to, to evangelize. I know we're already doing that in so many ways, but I, I do want to throw that challenge out there again. I think it's important to um, to continue to do that. And I want to invite people downtown Friday nights. Um, I, I think there's people here who um, can really help us and encourage us and that God can really use down there. And I want to encourage people to get involved, whatever ministry it is. And uh, um, this is something that has been on my heart specifically, so... I've been challenged on it, and I'm just passing that challenge on, you know, like a hot potato. Although I'm probably keeping a little bit of it too. So, um, <laughs> so I just, I just had a few thoughts about Philippians one tonight, and um, it's been a challenging book for me. The don't waste your life, but most of all, just the fact that it it doesn't ignore scripture, it doesn't neglect it. It just takes scripture and points it at your face and says, "This is what this says." And this is what you need to do, or what do you need to do about this? And um, so that's that's Philippians one. So I'll, I'm just gonna close in prayer, and then um, I would like to sing "Knowing You" because that song talks about how valuable Christ is and how He's more valuable than life itself. So we'll, I'll pray, and then we'll sing that song. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for the cross, Lord, and for your mercy. Lord, thank you for your joy that you give us and um, all these blessings that we have. And uh, I just pray that you would help us to take the challenge that your word gives us, Lord. Um, I know, Lord, that I'm, I'm not quick to take challenges, but Lord, um, I just pray that you'd work in our lives, in my life, and uh, just um, help us, give us strength, and... Um, Help us to minister to our families and to our 
loved ones, Lord, and Lord, I pray that you'd help us to minister to the world that we're that you've given us, that you would just help us to um, uh, to be challenged here, and to and that most of all, Lord, that you would work in us, and that you'd finish the work. And uh, thank you so much, Lord, for giving your Son. Thank you for uh, your sacrificial love, Lord. And um, I pray all this, Lord, in your holy and precious name. Amen. Ended with God, in a sense, and has and the result of it is a permanent change in the way that he's going to walk. The previous experience was a change in the way he would think. And, and, and by analogy, I would say what we have here, interestingly enough, as a holy metaphor, is a change in the way he would walk. If you think about the Christian life in, that, in those terms, it seems to me that all of us have, in some sense, a bittersweet Christian experience. All of us carry with us something hidden that causes us to think, I am weak, but He is strong. We are all touched by God in a particular way. We may not show, you know, there was no scar from this. This was an internal effect that caused Jacob to sort of halt when he walked and to need a staff. So maybe the, the correct icon is actually here, the staff. But I want the beginning of the staff to be associated with this place called Peniel. There was a camp in Nova Scotia, I don't know if it still exists, called Camp Peniel. still exists. It means I, I, I saw God's face. And theologically, this would be called a Christophany, a theophany, a Christophany, where this so-called angel is actually the Lord Jesus Christ appearing in hum human form before His incarnation in Bethlehem. And I think that it's, it's lovely, again, to have a point in our lives where we can say, God touched me, and I have never been the same since. I, you know, if, if someone were to say to Jacob, uh, why, do you, why do you limp? I noticed you have a limp. I have a feeling that Jacob would say, almost with a laugh, you know, that it he would have a, a sense of joy. Yes, that's where I grabbed God, and God grabbed me back and dealt with me, and I have never been the same since. And I carry with me in my being, I carry two things. I carry the memory of that interaction of being grabbed by God as I grabbed God, and I carry with me the unforgettable little pain in my hip, which always reminds me that I'm weak, but He is strong, and that there was a starting point to that. We all need to come to the end of ourselves. I don't know within your Christian experience whether there was a point in which you came to the end of yourself. You know, we're looking at 400 of Esau's soldiers. You prepared to, that's, th those are really bad odds, 400 to Jacob's party, with had, had a lot of women and children. And he grabbed God, and God grabbed him back, and he never forgot it. And he carried the reminder of that with him for his life. We, in our, you know, um, I was going to say midlife Christian crisis, midlife crisis in the Christian sense. It's almost a, um, 
an inappropriate uh, phrase because, you know, you think about the modern use of this, this uh, midlife crisis idea, and it actually implies exactly the opposite of what I'm talking about, that, you know, you, f you feel a sense of what's the, why, you know, what, what is my marriage like, what is my life like, what is my job like, I can't make any sense of anything anymore, and I need to buy a red convertible to make myself feel better. So, you know, this, this kind of midlife um, lostness, is, is, I think, uh, the reason it existed. It is a 21st century experience. And um, by contrast, by contrast, I think that the Christian needs to be able to say, this is the nature of my Christian life. I carry a measure of pain that I actually is unique to me. I don't know what it is that you are carrying. I don't know what challenges you face in your life, what things are sort of like a stone in your shoe spiritually that, um, in a sense, make you think of God, but also at the same time uh, tend to make you less self-reliant, right? I'm, I'm at the end of myself. Well, that's good. That's good. It's good to remember that it is the Lord whom we must rely on in the middle of our lives, knowing, looking back, that we had an unmistakable encounter, and we had another encounter, and we can actually look forward with this staff to a future day. Any New Testament Epilara ideas? Paul had a tremendous revelation of heaven, and in order to keep him humble, the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 12, talks, Paul talks about how uh, he carried this, this painful thing with him. And we don't actually know what it is. There's various theories, but we don't actually know what it is. And he says, this is what I learned from God. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's where Paul was, and I think Paul probably had better and more and, and, and significantly amazing revelations more than you and I, and he had this kind of thing. This is a lovely verse. Wherefore, seeing also we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God toward the end of the book of Hebrews. And the sitting down at the throne of God is actually in the very beginning of the first chapter, coming full circle. So, if we are going to be making progress, the writer of Hebrews used the word run, um, well, we are running by the grace of God. We may actually have a God-given limp, but that's okay. That's of God. That's to keep us humble. That's perhaps to make us a little bit more cautious with regard to our own wiliness. And the thing that we do need to do is to shed the baggage. You know, it's one thing to have a God-given limp. 
It's quite another to be carrying 50 pounds of rocks in a knapsack on your back for no particular reason other than you're fond of the rocks or fond of whatever thing is in the knapsack. So um, these are, I think, our principles that the believer can, can really relate to. I hope that these are verses that you have often reflected upon and will continue to f- reflect on. It's funny that icon number three is um, referred to in Hebrews 11.6 in the way that it is. Here, here we have, and Israel, his new name, stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn, And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life, my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. That angel is the Lord Jesus. And let my name be named on them. And let the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Jumping to verse 21. And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again into the land of your fathers. He reflected. Um, I'll be 64 this year, uh, soon to be 38 years married. And not surprisingly, in my own heart and mind, I have a lot to reflect upon. And... um, that's inevitable, isn't it? If you are in the sort of middle of your life, I think it's good to be reminded that when you get to that point where you are leaning on your staff, you will be looking back on your life. You'll be looking back on your life on things that you can't change. You can't change. God and His grace can overrule many of the wrong decisions that we may have made, but the decisions can't be changed. We made them, and they had consequences. And we're all heading to that point in our Christian lives of reflection. But it's a good thing here, and it's a good thing for us, and it's a good example to say that He leaned on His staff and worshipped, worshipped. I look back, Jacob says, and I was a wily kind of guy, and sometimes I got into trouble, and sometimes I used my cleverness to personal advantage. But that's not what I think about Jacob, as, as speaking as Jacob. You know, that is not what is primary, I think, in Jacob's mind. What's primary in Jacob's mind is the blessing of God, the things that came from God, and the realization that through all of that experience, God was behind it. God was in it. Sometimes God overruled the situation, such as with the 400 soldiers that he was faced with. And he looks back on it all, and he says, essentially, God was with me. God came to walk with me, and I walked through my life, and I come to the end, and I'm very proud of my son Joseph. And I have many sons, And God has plans for my sons, and I'm able to worship God. What about about a a New Testament? Well, 
I, I said six. It's actually the, toward the end of the chapter, sorry. 1121, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. See, and, and you cannot find a picture, at least I couldn't, of, you see, if I'm going to do this with my hands on my grandsons, that, that could be, what, what's, what's going on there? Like, if I, if I get up like this, and then I do this, that's, that's interesting. Um, maybe it looked more like this. Maybe it was sort of part walking staff and part crutch, so that you could use it to get up, and you could put it under one arm, and then you could bless your grandsons. We don't know for sure. But it's lovely that this man, who occupies almost half of the book of Genesis, can come to the end of his life and worship, looking back on a life that had uh, failures and challenges and the intervention of God, and still he can worship. What could the Apostle Paul say when the, when the end was in view? I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I hope that we will all be able to say that when we come to the end of our Christian lives, the end of our, end of our lives. I find it interesting that, you know, you, you start out thinking about heaven and perhaps a just not strong enough. You start thinking about heaven and you end up going to heaven. <laughs> In the case of Jacob, that's what happened. He had an exposure to heaven, the reality of God, the reality of heaven, and he actually didn't jump at the chance to go there. But like all believers, we come to the end and we will, if we know the Lord, we will go to heaven and we will welcome it. We will look forward to it. It will be a, a, a full circle sort of thing, except that we won't be pouring oil on rocks on the ground. We'll be up there. This is my second to last slide and I thought about it perhaps in terms of places and stones. Um, the middle one is Ireland. I don't know why Ireland keeps coming up, but we have uh, the idea of a stone. There was a stone that he had as a pillow, and it's in, in our metaphorical English, we can say a touchstone is something that is used as a test of the, of the reality of something. I did not know that a, a mineral called lyddite is a silicaceous mineral that you can take gold and you can scrape it on it, and you can know whether the, the, the gold is very pure by what kind of streak it makes on the touchstone of Lydite. And that was Bethel, and that was kind of his spiritual awakening. And all of us have our own kind of point of spiritual awakening that we refer back to as the beginning. And then you have progress. You go through a life, and it could be quite a complicated life with many challenges and dangers and, and things that happen. And those are like milestones, and one of them was penile, which means the face of God up close in wrestling match. And we go through these, these uh, events, and that one caused Jacob to walk differently. And at the end, of course, uh, we will, if the Lord be not come, we will be down under the ground. 
under a, perhaps under a tombstone. It depends what your last will and testament says to do about that. And his bones, although he died in Egypt, his bones and went back to Hebron. <coughs> and that site is, uh, it's called the Sanctuary of Abraham in the Islamic religion, and the Cave of Machpelah is in Hebron. And Jacob, once he came to that place, he, he died. He said, I'm dying, and then he did die. And he went to heaven. So this week, I hope that in your workaday life and in thinking about your Christian life and your Christian growth and your Christian experience, you will remember about the latter and you will remember about the injury and you will remember about the staff. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, help us to be men and women who seek always to follow you, to acknowledge you. We are weak, but you are strong. We thank you, Lord, that in Christ you have taken hold of us and you have transferred us from a kingdom of darkness into heaven, a place of light, a place of your presence. And we look forward to that day when we will be there. Help us, Father, to live accordingly. Help us to know the leading of your Spirit. And we ask that you would keep us humble in the coming week and help us to rely on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your attention.